It is good to see your faces. I love being up here. I, I wish sometimes uh, you guys could see what we see. Um, well, then maybe not. No, I'm kidding. It is good to be with you tonight. We have been in a series, we're coming to the end of it, called Embracing the Unknown. And we talked about uh, what it looks like when Christ followers embrace the unknown of following Jesus. When you and I, who have accepted Jesus Christ and entered into a relationship with God, what does it look like when we boldly submit our lives and say, okay, God, what do you have for me? And whatever it is, we're going to embrace it. It's going to become a part of us. We're going to join you in this incredible adventure that we can't even fathom. And we're going to embrace it. First of all, a couple weeks ago, we started with Jonathan, and we looked at what happened when Jonathan and his armor bearers decided to take the initiative, embrace the unknown in their own life, and attack the Philistines. And we saw how the hand of God was upon them when they embraced the unknown of their own situation in their own lives. And they began by embracing initiative, taking leadership, taking charge, taking a step of faith. And then we see Jonathan embrace influence as he influenced his armor bearers, the only person he could influence in the entire nation of Israel, and he did it. And the armor bearer allowed himself to be influenced by Jonathan. Then they embraced uncertainty as they came to that chasm between the two cliffs and, and they came down and began planning. What are we going to do? And this is what we're going to do. And we don't know what's going to happen, but we'll do it. Then they embraced uh, risk. They took a risk. They, they, they let the Philistines see them and, and they called up to them and said, come on up here. We're going to teach you a lesson. And, and they knew right then and there that God had handed them into their hands. And so taking that step of faith, trusting God, they climbed up hand and feet, climbed up until they got to the top. And then they embraced advancement as they, with only one of two swords in the entire army, took on and slew 20 or more Philistines and, and gave the nation of Israel an entire victory. Meanwhile, we saw that his father Saul, the king, the guy who was supposed to be the warrior in charge, the, the chief warrior, was sitting underneath the pomegranate tree in Migron in fear, being controlled by his fear, doing nothing, while his son set the pace for the nation, trusting God. And embracing the unknown. And then last week we looked at, why should we do that? Because does that really make any sense? I mean, uh, I'm a person of logic. If it doesn't logically make sense to me, I'm like, well, that's just dumb. But again, in God's economy, sometimes logic just doesn't add up. And we saw that the reason why we embrace the unknown, the reason why we take the risk and advancement and influence and all those things we saw Jonathan do was because of God's love. His love for you and me and his love for a world, his love that is unconditional. In fact, he loves us in spite of us. Have you ever thought about how powerful that is? You ever understood? I, I can't tell you how many times in my prayer time or my quiet time I pray and I say, God, Thank you for loving me in spite of me. Because I guarantee you, I'm not an easy person to love sometimes. And some of you know what that's like. Maybe you're married to somebody like that. And no doing this, okay? Tommy, I told you not to do that. 
Gene, I don't think you're that kind of person. Maybe you are, but I don't know. But, um, but yeah, you know, sometimes we're just hard to love, and this love is unconditional. And in fact, remember it, we talked about last week that when we enter into that love relationship with God, that you and I get received the full extent of God's love. That he doesn't hold anything back from us because it's unconditional. He doesn't wait until we do better and he gives us more, or if we mess up, he pulls back some. That you and I receive the full extent of God's love all the time because it's unconditional. But it's also compelling because it moved God. It compelled God to send his son as a sacrifice for your sins and for mine. Not only did he talk about love, but because it was his very nature, he showed us his love. And that while you and I were sinners, Christ died for us. His own son took and became the, the, the sin who knew no sin. He took on the, our sin so that you and I may become the righteousness of God. And so he showed us his love. It was compelled him to show it to us, to exhibit it, to extend it to us. Then we learn that his love is sacrificial. That you can't love unconditionally and be moved to show it without sacrificing something. And it, it cost him his own son. It cost Jesus everything he had in heaven. All of his divine rights. All of his privileges. He emptied himself, it says in Philippians, and he came to earth, not just to be a man, but to be a servant who was obedient unto death on a cross. It cost him something. And God's love like that cost us something. When we extend that kind of love to others, it costs us something. Because, believe it or not, not everybody is as easy to love as me. Or Cindy, because she'll laugh. Is she laughing? She may be laughing inside. But we are called to love people. Matter of fact, Paul said, by your love, they will know that you are Christians. Jesus said, by your love, they'll know that you're my followers. Your love, the same word that John used in 1 John chapter 4 that said, God is love. Agape divine supernatural love you see that's why we embrace the unknown because the love of God has infected us and infused us in such a way that it compels us to go out and to love the world to love the unlovable to love regardless of background and past and I'm telling you that's a hard love to exhibit but that's why we embrace the unknown is to share the love of God Tonight, I want to look at what does, it look like, what does it look like when the people of God do that? You ever wondered? Well, what does it look like when we do that? When we agree, say, all right, all right, I'm going to embrace the unknown in my life. And for some, that may be teaching, becoming a teacher. I've had talked to several teachers over several years that go, man, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm just following God. And they embrace the unknown of standing up in front of a group of people and being responsible for discipling them. People who have gone into ministry or, or gone on mission trips or have he jumped in. Some of you yesterday helping out with our food box ministry. Some of you, man, that was embracing the unknown for you. You had never put yourself in that place. And you didn't know what to expect. You didn't know what you would find. You didn't know what you experienced. And so for you, that was embracing the unknown. 
And so whatever that is for you, I want us to talk about what does that look like when you do that? What does it look like in your home? What does it look like in our families? What does it look like individually, but also corporately as the people of God? Tonight, I want to begin with helping us understand or get a clear picture of what it looks like by beginning with, with Jesus' words, with Jesus' own words. Because I think if we look at some passages from the very beginning of his ministry and the very end, they'll connect and help paint a little picture for us. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to look at two passages in Matthew and one in Acts. And you may have these. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to turn here. Because many of you know these by heart, but I think they give us a really good picture of what Jesus expects of us, of what it looks like when we are embracing the unknown and are compelled by his love to share the love with others. Matthew 4, 19, Jesus says to his very first disciples, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Simple, right? Come, follow me. Dustin, come, follow me. Don, come, follow me. George, Brenda, you come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men and women. What he was saying is, if you will come and enter in relation with me, and you will consciously live in obedience to my word, then my spirit will transform you and put God's heart in your heart, and his mission will become your mission. And it starts, though, when we say, come, and we began following Jesus. The second passage I want us to look at is Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Jesus is gathered with his, uh, his disciples, and um, he kind of gives them their marching orders. Uh, this is called the Great Commission. You, many of you know this by heart. But he's standing there with them just before he ascends into heaven, and he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching you to observe, or some translations say, obey the things that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even unto the very end of the age. And so Jesus said, when you come and follow me, I'm going to transform you into the likeness of I'm going to put my heart in you, my mission in you. And as you do that, then as you go, live out this life. And as you live in that life, you're going to make disciples. You're going to evangelize. You're going to baptize. And then you're going to disciple them and teach them. Oh, by the way, you're not doing this on your own. Matter of fact, I had a pastor once that said, we sometimes write great commission. He says, write great co-mission. Because you and I, when we do that, are on mission with God. We're not doing it on our own power. We're on mission with God. In fact, in Acts 1-8 is our next passage. You can write this down. Acts 1-8. Jesus, right before, just before he ascends into heaven, has his followers there. And he says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will testify to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will testify to me, Wynn Baptist Church, in Wynn, Cross County, in Arkansas, the United States, and to all the foreign lands that I send you. 
See, that's, that, was, that was the end result. That was God's desire and design for the church as we know it. That was his desire and design for you and me as his followers. Is not only enter into a relationship, but we begin living obediently. And as we choose to live in obedience, the Holy Spirit is transforming us. And as we're moving out, we're filled with the Holy Spirit now being transformed by the Holy Spirit. That, that God is putting his heart into our heart. We join him on missions. And we are going, as we go out, we're sharing the gospel. We're making disciples. We're, we're teaching people. We're baptizing people. You realize in the last three months, we've baptized like 18 people? Yeah, y'all are excited. You know, our staff one day got in there and says, listen, I believe God wants us to reach win for him. Our goal is 25 baptisms before we end December. We've seen 18 so far since that time. Since that time, we prayed, Lord, send us to lost people. Send us to lost people. Send our people to lost people because they matter to you. And since that time, we've baptized 18. Now, we've baptized a lot more than that throughout the year. But that, in that short amount of time, we baptized 18 people already. And we got some more that we're going on saying, Lord, no, they've made a profession of faith. Let's baptize. And we baptize them. And it is about baptism. It's about lives who've been changed by the power of God. It's about lives who have been changed because somebody was compelled by the love of God to share that love with them, embrace the unknown, and share the gospel with them. See, that's what it looks like when you and I are personally and corporately involved in embracing the unknown in our own lives, in our families, in our Bible study classes. But I want us to look at some passages tonight in the book of Acts, because I believe it gives us a very clear picture of what that real people doing, real embracing the unknown kind of stuff. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And we're going to begin, I mean Acts chapter 8, verse 4. And we're going to look there and we're going to go Acts chapter 8, 9, and then chapter 11. And so we're gonna, I'll tell you those verses. But I want to tell you something about embracing the unknown. And what it looks like before we get here. Because I think we'll see it in the lives of these people. That it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's something that we choose every day to do. Every day that our feet wake up and hit the floor. Or the water in the shower hits us in the face. Or that first sip of coffee touches our lips. We say, today God... I'm going to embrace the unknown. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a Sunday night thing. It's not a Wednesday night thing. It's, it's not a once a week in the summertime helping some missionary in another country thing. It's a lifestyle thing. It's who you are and who I am. When we embrace God's love and begin living that out. So let's look at... Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, uh, you'll know in chapter 7 that Stephen stands up and testifies to Jesus, to the Sanhedrin and, and the Pharisees, and to the religious leaders in the synagogue, and they get super stinking angry, drag him out, and they stone him. In the very first chapter, uh, first part of those first three verses, it says, Then all but the apostles were scattered, they left Jerusalem. We come to verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about 
preaching the word. Those who were scattered, those who were leaving homes and friends, those who were leaving a persecution, went about and didn't just mind their business. As they went out, as they go, they were preaching the word. They were sharing the gospel. They were testifying to Jesus. They were loving on people that weren't like them. Look with me to chapter 9, beginning with verse 10. Because in the middle of this process of persecution, a guy rises up, a leader, a guy named Saul, the one who, who knew the word of God, but who was, who was convinced that this new way was an attack on the church as he knew it. And he had received written permission from the, from the high priest, from the chief priest, to go out and round up everybody who belonged to this new way, who called upon the name of the Lord. And on his way to Damascus, his life crashes into the life-changing power of Jesus. And he meets him, and his life changes forever, but he is blinded. And he moves on into Damascus. And now we get to see somebody who has to embrace the unknown. Look with me in verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias... And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Thank God I woke up and checked out what I ate for dinner and not eat that again. Because what did Ananias say? He answered, Lord, have, I have heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem see Ananias is being controlled by his fear not being compelled by God's love we talked about that last week and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name but the Lord said to him go for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name so Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him he said brother Saul get what he called him brother he knew that God had already changed his life and that he, they were brothers in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and then he rose and was baptized and taking food he was strengthened. God called this man who was minding his own business, worshiping God, showing up on a Sunday morning and Sunday night, leading a Bible study. And in a dream, he said, by the way, I want you to go to this guy. You know, this guy named Saul. This guy named Saul who is rounding up followers of Jesus, persecuting him. And, and to be, let's just be honest. How many of you would have done what Ananias said? Wait a minute, do you, do you know, is that Saul, the guy who's... That's the right guy. How many of you would have questioned God? Now, if you say, I wouldn't have questioned God, I would beg to differ because some of you are questioning God about serving somewhere tonight, and it's not near as dangerous as this. 
So don't tell me you wouldn't question God. Don't tell me, oh no, I'd be the first one over there because you're not even the first one in the preschool room that we need you now. So please, don't, don't stand here and tell me that. The only person you're fooling is yourself. God already knows your heart. I think, yeah, I went, oh, I don't know about that. God says, I got plans for this man, plans that you don't know about, plans that that he's going to do something great. He's going to be an instrument of mine. And so Ananias, in obedience, embraces the unknown. He has no idea what's going to happen the minute he walks in that door. But he lays his hands on him, begins praying for him. Saul begins to see again. He is baptized. He begins, he's strengthened, and and we see the the entire book of Acts, and most of the New Testament are letters, and it's the work of Saul leading out, becoming Paul, planting churches, mentoring young pastors, investing in people, sharing the gospel where nobody else had gone before. Because one man embraced the unknown. Let's look on down to Acts chapter 9, verses 36 to 45. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid her in an upper room, which was really unusual for, uh, for a person who had died. They wouldn't necessarily take them in an upper room, but it, they did this time. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, Peter had gone down to Lydda and was preaching. The disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men urging him, please come to us without delay. And so Peter rose and went with them, and when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. And all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And then turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. And then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with Simon the Tanner. Did you get that in verse 38? Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples in Joppa, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men. There were believers in Joppa already. The church had gone out. Now we have Joppa, and we have a group of believers who are, who are serving and, and, and studying God's Word together and encouraging one another. And not one of the apostles had gone there yet. Not one of the church leaders had gone there yet. It was the work of lay people going out and escaping the persecution. And as they lived their life, they began preaching the gospel, sharing the good news, testifying to Jesus. And now there was a community of believers there. Look with me to Acts chapter 11, verse 19. And now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, or the Greek-speaking Jews also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Did you get that? 
that those who were scattered because of the persecution had traveled as far as now Cyprus and Phoenicia and Antioch had moved up into northern part of, of, Eastern, of Western Asia in that area and they were telling people about Jesus. First to the Jews and then to the Greek-speaking people, they were, they were doing it. And then Antioch became one of, the, one of the cornerstone churches of the New Testament. Because lay people like you said, we're not just going to wait and let the pastors go preach the gospel. We're not just going to let the missionaries go preach the gospel. We're going to do it as part of our, our life with God. We're going to embrace the unknown and as we go, we're going to share the gospel with people. And revival broke out. God added to the number. He was pleased with them. Now as we come to, that's the last of the pastors. I want to, listen, the entire book of Acts is this, embracing the unknown. I, I'd love for you just to read through the book of Acts. Read through what Paul does. Read through what he does with guys like Timothy and Saul and, uh, and, and Barnabas and, and others in there that, that man, you just go, wow. And you'll see these men embrace the unknown and women embrace the unknown. And you'll see there's some things that happen. But there's similarities in these passages. There, these are, there's a common thread here. I don't know if you see it or not. But let me help you. You see, the people here embraced their unknown. Guys like Ananias went to a murderer. Guy who rounded up people to be persecuted. And he went to him and he laid hands on him and prayed over him. In obedience to God, he embraced that unknown. There were others who were escaping persecution, leaving families and possessions and other things. But as they were going, being filled with the love of God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, they shared the gospel and they testified to Jesus. They lived in obedience to God. And the gospel was being taken abroad as the people of the first century church embraced the unknown. And it wasn't the professionals. It wasn't the Dons and the Dussons and the Todd and Mikes and others throughout churches around the United States. This was people who woke up every day and went to a job or cared for families or taught children or went to schools and, and played on football teams or, or, or played in bands or whatever. These were the people were sitting where you're sitting now who took the gospel out beyond the walls of the church, who lived it out in their everyday life. I don't believe the first century church knew what the Great Commission was. I don't think anybody had coined a phrase at that time. All they knew is that God loved them. He had changed their life and they needed to tell somebody. And so they did. They knew that their lives were different. And in the face of persecution, of hardships, of new places and new faces, they were compelled to sacrifice and share the unconditional love of God by embracing initiative and uncertainty and influence and risk and advancement of the kingdom of God. Tonight, I want to give you, you have a handout, I want to give you three results that takes place when you and I personally or as a family and definitely corporately embrace the unknown. The first one 
is life change happens. Life change happens. It, it happens in us. In Matthew 4, 19, Jesus said, listen, if you'll come and you'll follow me, you'll live in obedience with me every day, then my spirit will transform you and you will become fishers of men and fishers of women and fishers of children. And that you will become, my heart will be in you, my love will be in you, and you will be about my mission of reaching the lost. So life change happens in us. But life change also happens in those that we encounter in our everyday lives. Life change happens in those that we meet at Walmart, or we meet getting gas, or we meet at school, or we meet in our classrooms, or we meet you know, at the ballpark, at the football field, hanging out in our neighborhoods with our neighbors. Life change happens there when we embrace the unknown. That's what was happening when, when that first century church started taking the gospel beyond. Their lives were not only ones changed. Families and homes changed forever. They will drive a stake in the ground and say, that, that day, that week, when that family came and they told our family about Jesus, that's when we became followers of the way. I may have shared this story in here before, but I remember one a trip to Tanzania, and it was one of those that physically it was the most exhausting trip I'd ever been on. Spiritually, it had been tough. We were living in tents right in the middle of an area that was probably 95% Muslim. Matter of fact, we were doing a pastor's conference, and almost no pastors came. They sent others in their stead. Woke up the first morning, and we could hear the call to prayer about 3 o'clock, and and they had that speaker like it was right next to our tent. If you've ever heard the call of prayer, you know it can be an eerie sound. We also heard the witch doctor and his followers beating their drums and dancing and, and yelling in the middle of the night. And then we heard a hyena or two, too, barking. And I remember at the end of that week, I just went, Lord, did we make a difference? And I remember I, I have a picture Somebody took a picture of me, and I remember that moment because I was standing there, and God has used that picture to remind me time and time again, Mike, there will be, there will be families who will look back to this week and saw the Wazungus, the white people, the ones who come and go around in circles and circles and circles because we never relax. When they came and they brought the truth of God's love, being compelled by his love, shared that with our family, and they're going to look back, and that week when the white people came, that changed our family forever. He said, generations will look back to this week. And I never thought of that. And I went, Lord, that, that's more than I can comprehend. But because you embrace the unknown, not only will you be changed, but the people that you meet will be changed as well. And their families will be changed. And for generations, there will be people who will be changed because you chose to embrace the unknown. Life change happens. Here's the second thing. The kingdom of God expands. The kingdom of God expands. Expands where we are and where we go. Now listen, I love it when we pack the pews and fill our classrooms. But Wind Baptist Church doesn't exist for Wind Baptist Church. Does that make sense? We don't exist to make ourselves look bigger. 
We exist to glorify God. We exist to expand the kingdom of God wherever we go. We exist to fulfill the great commission. We exist because we are compelled to share the love of God with those that we meet in our everyday lives. That's why we exist. And so, yes, we may grow and we may receive new people. But you know what? If we started two more churches in our county, it wouldn't hurt us either. I remember being part of a church that planted a church about 20 miles away. And people were worried because we were sending like 60 people to help start this church. And they said, you know, what if they all leave? What happens? I mean, and I said, trust God. If this is on him, then, then if they leave, that's on him. You know what? Our giving and our attendance never suffered because those 60 people followed God. Their attend- our attendance and our finances never suffered because we embraced what God was doing and we started a new church. We'd never started a new church before. We had not a clue what we were doing. But we trusted God and we embraced the unknown. Listen, if we send out 30 people to start a new church or a new Bible study somewhere, that's on God. God will provide for Wind Baptist Church. And so, yes... The kingdom of God will expand right here. When you began living out the the Great Commission, when you began began embracing the unknown in your life, in your area, man, people are going to be drawn to wherever that's happening. But it isn't supposed to happen just here. We've got, Don, how many? 6,000 people in in our town that aren't going to church anywhere on a Sunday morning. Out of 20,000 people in our county, Man, we've got a ton of them. 16,000 that aren't in a church on Sunday morning. We could, man, what's God calling you to do? Is there, is there a Bible study you need to do in your neighborhood, in your area? So that you can reach those folks who aren't here yet? Yesterday, this last weekend, I was with a group of guys, friends of mine and Don, co-laborers, guys who do what we do, discipleship have a heart for that and and I was listening to one of them tell a story he said they had merged with a church and out of that one guy had just started uh, he called him up and he said uh, do y'all have any um, any children's material or stuff and they go uh, yeah but who is this well we're so-and-so and we started a Bible study and we got so many kids so many families coming with kids and we don't know what to do with the kids They just started a church and just became part of this other church, one of their church plants. Because some guy got on fire for the Lord, embraced the unknown, started a Bible study in his neighborhood for the families, started attracting so many people because the love of God compelled him. And now they got enough people that they need material for kids because they don't know what to do with all the kids that are coming. To be honest, that's more as a layperson, that guy's doing more as a layperson than some of our professional pastors in pulpits every Sunday. But it's because a guy, God had put his love in him and he, he began having a passion for his neighborhood. And he said, God, what do you want me to do? I'll embrace it. I don't know. I have a clue what I'm doing. I'm just going to start a Bible study. And this guy's now a campus pastor. Just because the love of God compelled him to do something. Third, the church fulfills its purpose. When we embrace the unknown, the church fulfills its purpose. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about Wind Baptist Church per se. I'm not talking about going to church. 
I'm talking about the Greek word in the, in, in the New Testament that's used. It's called ekklesia. When the ekklesia, the, the word for ekklesia means called out ones. Those who have been called out with a purpose. And that purpose isn't just making sure we have people in the pews and money in the bank. That purpose was to share the love of God. To testify and be a witness to Jesus. To live out the Great Commission. See, when you and I embrace the unknown, it won't be about Win Baptist Church. It'll be about the church living out the Great Commission and fulfilling its purpose in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 and Acts 1, 8. This weekend, I, I, while I was gone, I met a young, a young couple, they were older couple, they were new to church ministry. He had been in, in, in collegiate student ministry for many years. His name was Jim, and his wife, was, her name was Sue. And, and we were getting to know each other over dinner one night, and, and Sue began telling me that her dad accepted Christ at 74 years old. She had been a believer for many years. Her, her mom had been a believer. Uh, she was a believer when her and her husband got married. They'd been married like 33 years um, and um, you know, had older kids. But her dad was 74 when he accepted Christ. And he said he was so compelled by the love of God. Matter of fact, her mom would often call and go, you got to do something about your dad. I, man, he's killing me with this Jesus stuff. She kind of said, well, mom, you prayed for it. Now you got it. But he was so compelled that, that in the afternoons when the kids would come home, he would gather them in his yard and he would begin to tell them about Jesus. Now, he kind of had a hook. He had a stack of candy bars. And every kid that would stay and listen to the stories of Jesus, he would give them a candy bar. We could bribe our kids. We don't, man, that is not unconscionable. But that's what he would do. He did that for 12 years. 74 years old. He embraced the unknown. He didn't know what he would do. He just knew that he needed to tell these kids about Jesus. He had an audience, and he had a way to get them there. And so he just said, okay, if you'll listen, I'll give you a candy bar, and we're done. When he passed away, Sue was telling me her and her brother were there at the home. Her mom still lived there, and they were out in the garage. And the neighborhood had, had, had really changed over the years. It was really, she said, Mike, it wasn't a safe neighborhood at all. My mom really needed to get out of there. We were in the garage, and she said, we're going through Dad's tools and all the stuff he collected and everything. And, and these guys rode up on their motorcycles. They said, they were rough, man. They're, and they were thinking, great. Here these guys know my dad's passed away. They're going to come over, and they're pretty much going to take over the house and kick my mom out. And, and so they go out, her and her brother go out to meet him. And he gets off the motorcycle, comes up to him, and sticks out his hand and says, um, I just want you to know I heard your dad had passed away. And because of his influence in my life, because of the love that he shared with me, we've been watching your mom and dad's house, making sure that your mom's safe. And that as long as she lives in this house, she will always be safe. Because of the love of God, compelled that man to do something. What's God asking you to do? How is he asking you to embrace the unknown in your life? Let's pray. Tonight, you may be, um, and this may be new to you, you've never heard about the love of Jesus You've never heard about a Jesus or God who, who would even love you. And, and, but we want to introduce you to him tonight. 
And so we're asking you that if you've never entered into a love relationship with God, a God who loves you in spite of you, who's, who's loving you no matter what you've done in your past and what you will do in your future, tonight can be your night that you can meet Him and have this incredible relationship with Him. We'd love to introduce you to Him. Tonight there will be pastors down here at the front. And as we stand, I want to encourage you to step out. Embrace initiative. Take that first step and come out and, uh, and meet with these pastors. Believe me, we'll celebrate with you. There's nothing to be scared of. But believer, where is God asking you to embrace the unknown in your life? Where is He asking you to step out on faith and, and embrace initiative and embrace some influence, some uncertainty and risk and some advancement of the kingdom? Who is it He's asking you to share the love of God with? Is he asking you to forgive somebody? To love somebody who's hard to love? Is he asking you to, to take the gospel to that student who sits next to you who doesn't look like you or any of your friends? Who doesn't act or talk like you? What about that neighbor you rarely see and never smiles? What about your neighborhood? Is God calling you to embrace your neighborhood and turn it into a mission field? That when we leave here, we're scattered and, and you take the gospel into your neighborhood? I don't know. But tonight, you may need to answer that, that question. Where is God calling you to embrace the unknown in your own life? this front will be open. You just need me to come and get away from people and just hear from him or just call on him and say, God, here I am. Send me. You may want one of our pastors to pray with you. They would love to do that. God, as we respond, make the up there come down here. Change us and challenge us walk us through this next few minutes Lord may we be different because of our time with you tonight we pray this in your son's name amen